time to wake up. It's Saturday morning. Find some milk and cereal. Grab a bowl and spoon. No, a bigger spoon. Head to the living room and take a seat on the floor. But Joseph and Chris present to you... Saturday Morning Cartoon! Hello everybody and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom! This is a show where we wake up in the Saturday morning sun, pop down the living room for the pre of sugary cereal, and watch all your favorite cartoons, both old and new. I'm Joseph. I'm Chris. And with us today, we have Austin from the Inner Gamer Podcast. Hey guys, how's hey, it going? Thanks for, hey, thanks for having me here. This is, this is pretty awesome. Yeah, man. We love having you on our shows. You were on Nerds on Tap previously with pretty much the whole crew. Right, right. It was a full yeah, it was, it was a almost full your whole show. <laughs> yeah. It was like a takeover. <laughs> it was. Yeah, there were more of them than there were of us. Inadvertently, it's we true. apologize. I hope we didn't cause too much trouble. But we got pretty <laughs> we got pretty wasted. For nerds on tap, you caused just the right amount of trouble. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're here for. So why don't you tell people a little bit about Inner Gamer for anyone who doesn't know? All right. So the Inner Gamer is also a podcast that we have. Uh it's about video games. We have it every Tuesday uh on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We have Android. So yeah, we cover all your video games, news, reviews, opinions, and discussions. Uh, we try to cover all the latest video games, all the indie games, try to keep up with all the latest news. So for those who are casual gamers and can't, don't want to spend the time looking up all the stuff, we do it for you. Oh, there it is. Nice. That's very sweet. It's very sweet. You're doing a public you. service. There it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Except nice. for indie games. That's something that someone's going to have to come in and uh, give a little coverage on. Maybe. That Maybe person might be this, me. Yeah. I don't know. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Joseph's like, hint, hint. Yeah. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Elbow, elbow. <laughs> so and this morning we watched The Legend of Korra. Yeah. That's it. That's staying in. That's gonna be the music. <laughs> I know by heart. Sorry guys. Nice. Oh wait, I can see it. How's it start? It's like um Air. Oh yeah. Fire. Earth. Water. water heart. <laughs> Something like that. With our powers Heart. combined, we are Captain Planet. Avatar. Oh, I, I was mean, going to go Planet. Heart of the Cards. Heart of the Cards. Yeah. Then Yu-Gi-Oh! Then going to Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's time to do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do! <laughs> oh, good show. We went way yeah, off what? track there. All right, so yes, we did. Legend of what did we watch? Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Legend of Korra aired from 2012 to 2014. Created by the same creators of Avatar The Last Airbender and the new Voltron that we watched earlier as well. Michael yes. Dante DiMartino and Brian Conietzo. Produced by Nickelodeon Animation Studio, Ginormous Madman, Studio Mir, and Studio Piero. It ran for four seasons, 52 episodes on the Nickelodeon Network. For a short synopsis, Avatar Korra fights to keep Republic City safe from the evil forces of both the physical and spiritual worlds. So Austin, dun, dun, why did you dun. bring this show to us? Because it's freaking amazing. Good answer. I mean, hands down, one of the best cartoon series I've watched uh, to date. Like when I watch this show, my inner kid is like screaming inside of me with like giddiness and joy. But at the same time, the show takes it to another level of like this can be an adult show. There's a lot of adult themes scattered throughout um, not only this first season that we're going to talk about, but through all the other seasons. So it's cool to know that, that, you know, coming from The Last Airbender, they've kind of evolved it uh, and not being just specific for kids. Even though The Last Airbender, actually, uh, most of the fans were adults. Yeah? Yeah. So yeah, that see, is true. There is, I see exactly what you mean just by watching the three episodes we watched for today's show. It was, uh, there were a lot of punches pulled on parts that would have been kind of sensitive for kids. But right. at the same time, they didn't sacrifice. You got the impression of, as an adult, like it doesn't go over your head. You know yeah. what happened, even if they say it in a in a a, a calm, or I guess a more peaceful way, or a more I don't not PC, but more kid friendly way. Right, they do it more comedically here exactly. and there, and yeah, I mean, I think I think some of the Im- imagery lends to that too, the es- way that they, especially right. in the the last episode, which we'll talk about. But man, there are some really strong moments where it's like, oh my god, they did that! Holy crap! Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. So, Chris, who are the stars of this show? There is a lot. There's a lot, a lot, a lot. So brace yourself. Um, so the voice of Cora was Janet Varney, um, who is mostly known for television work like You're the Worst and Stand Against Evil. Uh, the voice of Shiro, who you might not think of who that is, but that is the radio broadcaster slash narrator 
you hear at the beginning of every episode. Um, and that is Jeff Bennett, which we just talked about him from the show uh, Shaolin Showdown when we did that one. Oh, nice. Um, he's been a few other shows that we've done. So he keeps popping up um, lately. Naga, the <laughs> uh, dog bear, which is awesome, <laughs> is uh, the, has noises made by D. Bradley Baker, who also voices Perry from Phineas and Ferb. He is also the voice of the clones from um, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels. Mm. He's also in Adventure Time, Gravity Falls, Steven Universe, Uncle Grandpa, a whole bunch more stuff. The voice of Bolin was voiced by PJ Byrne, and he's mostly known for several TV series such as Intelligence, The Game, and Vinyl. The voice of Mako was David Faustino, known for voicing the character Dagger on Dragons. Writers of the Burke oh, wait, and is, Dragons. Is that, is that the guy from Married with Children? I don't know. Bud Bundy? <laughs> That's not, I don't think I'm so. Maybe I'm wrong. Go on. I'll look it up. So. I'll look it up. Bud um, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, Dragons Race to the Edge. These are two cartoon shows that were based off of How to Train Your Dragon. Um, the voice of Tenzin was J.K. Simmons from the Spider-Man trilogy where he was J. Jonah Jameson. Um, also voices um, that character in pretty much anything Marvel as far as like cartoons. He was in Juno and all the farmer's insurance commercials. He does voices in Gravity Falls, BoJack Horseman, and he's going to be playing Commissioner Gordon in the upcoming Batman movie. That's exciting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dude, that is voice Bud of, Bundy. Is it? Yes. Oh, Bud Bundy. David Faustino. He's Mako? Okay, that just blew my That's mind. That's awesome. So he's also Bud Bundy. (laughs) (laughs) The voice of Asami is Seychelle Gabriel, who plays the character Lourdes Delgado from the TV show Falling Skies. Um, The character Lynn Beifong was voiced by Mindy Sterling, who's known for her roles in Austin Powers, Chowder, Desperate Housewives, iCarly, and Con Man, which Con Man is super awesome. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. It's hilarious. Milo, voiced by Logan Wells. This is the only thing he's done because he actually is a kid. (laughs) Janora was voiced by Kierden Shipka, who is Sally Draper in Mad Men. And Iki was Darcy Rose Burns, who is Penny from Desperate Housewives and voices Princess Amber in Sophia the First. Also, just because this is really awesome, I'm going to list off several guest stars that they have had voice characters on the show because it's impressive. So we have James Ramar, Henry Rollins, Steve Blum, which will <laughs> is a lot in this season, Aubrey Plaza, Zelda Williams, Gray Griffin, who was the voice of Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender, Maurice LaMarche, Eva Marie Saint, Jim Cummings, Stephen Yoon, Tom Kenny, Rami Malek, Nolan North, Clancy Brown, Gary Cole, Kevin Michael Richardson, Pat Fraley, Serena Williams, and Chris Hardwick, who voiced the adult Sokka in a couple episodes. Oh, nice. Which is super cool. Yeah. What a good pick to voice adult Sokka. That's crazy. (laughs) You said Steve Bloom also? Yes. He is the voice. Yes. He is actually the voice of a major character from this season. Excellent. Yeah. Point it out when we get there. He's a mod. Oh, man. Oh, that's right. Steve Uh, Bloom. Why was I like? He's the voice of a mod. Yeah. Insanity. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I actually got to meet him at the uh, uh, Dallas Fan Expo. Oh, I was, I was just like, he's a mod, he's a mod, he's a mod, he's a mod. Is he an awesome? <laughs> is he an awesome guy in real life? Because I feel like he'd be an awesome guy, the coolest guy ever. Like you walk up to him, he has a smile. He's like, "What can I do for you, man?" man. We're like, "We just need oh, you to awesome. record something for us." Thank you, sir. I, I feel like voice actors, for the most part, would be the happiest people on earth. They always seem genuinely really from, happy. From, pre, from previous experiences, that's how it's been. Well, I, I've well not known. met one with a chip on their shoulder yet. Right. Yeah. They're, they're well known, but they, they can walk out in public and not be hounded. Exactly. By they don't have to be hassled yeah. unless they're at a convention. Then people are like, do the voice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, me screaming exactly. that. Yeah. Any, any other guest stars? The, there's many others, but oh, right, right. <laughs> I felt any? that that would be like a long enough list. That was a, that was a good sampling of them. Nice. Yeah, awesome. there's so many. It was such a like, obviously, this was a huge undertaking to draw like that big of a crowd of guest stars to come on. So right. And Bud Bundy. Yeah. I mean, come on. I, honestly, I didn't and realize Bud how big, <laughs> how like well known this cast was. Yeah, that's insane. It's crazy. So for a few tasty marshmallows from our big bowl of Legend of Korra cereal, 
Each element has its own special ability. For example, air has flying, fire has lightning bending and combustion bending. Earth has metal bending and lava bending and water has blood bending. Uh, secondly, Aang and Katara have three children, two boys and one girl. They named their water bending daughter after Katara's mother, Kaya, and one of their sons after the king of Omashu, Bumi. Yeah, I remember Bumi. <laughs> also, during the third season, Nickelodeon forced the show into onto Nick.com. They also gave a limited budget during the fourth season. This is an explanation why they made a clip show a little bit before the show ended. So they were kind of pulling back on it, not giving them as much money to move forward with, which is crazy because from my understanding, I mean, I didn't watch it at the time, but my understanding was this was always a pretty popular show. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. For the absolutely. most part, it was. Uh, I, I don't think it got as much, it wasn't received as well as they hoped it would be for mm. season one of Korra. And I think because of the budget cuts and what was happening, you could tell that the main creators, uh, Michael and Brian, just mm-hmm. kind of started letting Nickelodeon take it. And so season two, season three, season four, like all those like had other directors involved. Oh, okay. And so you could see it was just kind of tanking and tanking. And, uh, and they want to move on to other stuff too, like, you know, Voltron. Yeah, of course. Right. Well, I'm glad yeah. they did. Yeah. yeah, me too. And lastly, Rob Paulson was originally cast to voice Aang, but was replaced by D.B. Sweeney during post-production. In fact, Paulson had already recorded the lines. Why did they replace him? That seems know, weird. Why would you pull back on Rob Paulson if you have that as one of your voices? It seems like he would have at least been a guest star of some sort, but I didn't hear his name in your list. No, I I didn't see him on there, honestly. Interesting. Um, I wonder if maybe they, just thinking about his voice, I wonder if maybe they didn't think Aang sounded like adult enough with Rob Paulson voicing him or something. Mm, maybe. Like maybe they want him to, to sound, because when Aang does show up in this show, he's, he's very serious because he's much older. You know, it's not little kid Aang from The Last Airbender. This is like, you know, seasoned Avatar Aang who's like, you know, looks like he's in his 40s or something when we do see him. Yeah, he's got his um, goatee well, his, and everything. The spirit of him, at least. So. Or his beard. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, weird seeing, like, Aang with, like, a little chin goatee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. There's that cute kid, yeah. now he's an adult. But he, he has yeah. this very distinct voice about him in his older age. and I, I, really, I really like it. Nice. I like yeah, it. I did, too. I think they did good. Yeah, so you guys already have pretty good memories of this show, I assume. I, you've both seen it. Were you watching it at the time that it came out, or what? Oh yeah. Oh, I was so I was all about this show. Like I was waiting every, uh, I guess it was every Sunday because it would it would air on you know TV and then it would come out on on the uh, online. So I was mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, I gotta wait because I didn't have cable or anything. Oh okay. So I'd wait and I'd pull it up and you know have to watch like. Five minutes uh, of commercials between each break. And I'm like, ah, dang it. Internet. Oh, man. Yeah. But, yeah. I was just buying at the teeth just to watch the show. Yeah. I came at it a little bit later. Um, I think it was, I think Cora was in season two when I actually got around to watching The Last Airbender. So I, I, cause like a while back, I had tried to watch a couple episodes of Last Airbender and I didn't really get into it. I think because I wasn't really paying that much attention, but I was like, ah, this is for kids. But people kept telling me how good it is. So I'm like, all right, I must be missing something. So then like a few episodes in, I was hooked and watched all of Last Airbender really fast and then got into Korra. And I got through season one and two because they were out. And then I got season three and watched it later, but I have not watched season four yet. But luckily, it came out on Blu-ray just a few weeks ago, so I had pre-ordered it, and so now I can finally finish it. Nice. Yeah, yeah it's going to be good. Yeah, I, I didn't even, I mean, I knew the show existed because obviously it was everywhere when it first came out, but since I hadn't watched Last Airbender at the time, I was like, well, I don't want to get into that because I don't know about the predecessor to it, and then I, I didn't want to go back to that either because I was like, oh, I don't have time, and so it was excuse after excuse to not watch it and but now that i have had a little sampling of both of them i mean i, I realize what all the hype was about now i get it totally worth you catching pretty much up have on. to watch it well now <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i pretty much have to and right you know what like i i don't know this for sure but i think that legend of korra has the first same-sex couple in a children's cartoon i did see something about that yes yeah, it was very and, i remember and, when the rumors were coming out and i was like no yeah. no they can't do that <laughs> And it being, you know, one of the really one of the main characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A couple of the main characters. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. Yeah. Don't spoil it because I don't remember who it was. It's, and it's I, pretty now cool, that though. I know who the characters are, that'll spoil <laughs> it for me. So let me get there. I'll oh, get yeah. there. You'll get there. All right. So, 
So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the three episodes we watched for today's show. And these were, I mean, we watched the first episode, yes, but I think the other two were Austin's picks. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's atypical to how we usually do it, which is highest rated and a listener pick. So because Austin's our guest today, he chose both of them. He had them ready for us. We're like, all right, well, we're going to go with that. (laughs) And uh, these were, this was a great sampling and it actually, they kind of led from one to the other pretty well. So I wasn't too lost coming into it like I am with some shows. Right. Right. Yeah. I picked these because I feel like, well, even for the fans, but even for, you know, someone coming in, like these are huge plot turning points oh, for yeah. the main character. I, I could definitely agree yeah. to that. And like, if you're going to watch any of these episodes, but they're all really good and they all tie together so well. And, mm-hmm. and, and I feel like even watching one of these, you want to go back and, you know, see, see what you missed. What was interesting is if I hadn't seen the second episode we watched, which was episode eight, and before I saw episode 12, I wouldn't have understood one of the major plot points that happened in 12, which I'll get to, but that's why I say it, they jumped very well and connected very well to each other. So anyway, let's yeah. go ahead and jump into the first episode we watched for today's show. Welcome to Republic City, season one, episode one, where Korra, the new avatar, travels to Republic City to start her airbending training. Yes, kind of, but... There's uh, much more to it than that. Yeah, exactly. Not because that was planned at all. She kind of forced herself there. So there's two things about this first episode that I absolutely love. One is that, you know, they discovered Korra was the next Avatar when she was still like an infant and how like confident she already was because it was like immediately she could already do fire, earth and water bending like so fast. And she's just a little kid. And I mean, it took Aang so long to like learn all the others aside from air, which was his native one. Like just as a little kid, she already had it down. Yeah, she was a prodigy. She, and even yeah, come, like, exactly when the White Lotus uh, people came over to they were kind of scouting for avatars, I guess, or the next avatar, yeah. you know, she uh, she they came into the to her her house and they were like, OK, talking to her parents. Why do you think she for sure that she's the next avatar? And then she just kind of busts through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. And she's like, right, I'm exactly. an avatar and you got to deal with it. And she's just like shooting fire and water everywhere. Like, yeah, okay, and so then this like, kid's got something. She just needs to learn to control it. Yeah, it's so awesome. I just, I love that. I love that they, that we're not going into like a, you know, it's not a similar story to Airbender where she's got to learn each of the things. She's already, as a kid, mastered three of them. Right. So I thought that's cool. And, and they put a lot more emphasis on like, so she she doesn't know air and she has no connection to the spiritual side. Um, So she can't go into like the avatar state or anything. Like that was something that Aang... I mean, he kind of learned to do, but it was like it happened for him much easier and it and it seemed to happen frequently for him. Whereas for her, like she had no connection to the spiritual side at all. Yeah, she was just Um, very focused on the physical side. And she she just kept saying, like, you know, like I can do this. Like, basically, she's just the the tough kid who's like, what else do I need to learn? Like, I can already beat everybody. So. Right. Exactly. Who cares about the spiritual side? It's not my thing. The other thing that I absolutely love about this episode is we get to see Katara as like a super old lady. And I think that's so awesome that like we get to see one of the old characters from The Last Airbender and she's not only all grown up, but I mean, she's like very, you know, like grandmotherly towards Korra, which is it's so interesting because, I mean, she had married Aang and, and fathered his children and stuff and, and now has grandchildren through through them. And her husband, Aang, you know, dies, which creates the next avatar, which is Korra. So it's really cool to see, like, the relationship that she has with Korra, like, kind of as a grandmother when it's, you know, it's almost like part of the spirit of her husband, you know, is is part of Korra, basically. So yeah. just that that relationship is very cool. And I really, really like it. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. And not having seen a lot of Last Airbender, I was I was trying to remember who that was. I mean, they said her name and then I was like, OK, now I know. But before that, I was just yeah. like a random old lady. Great. But yeah, and, it, there's and then when they say Katara, you're like, oh, oh my god! Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, who is Katara again? Because there's so many names to remember. Oh yeah, and it's 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 a it's a very big world for as uh, I guess as small as these cartoons were. It is a big world. I mean, it, they were so they only ran for like a few seasons each, and just there was so much developed that it was like, man, if you are behind, you are way behind. But yeah, exactly. that doesn't take away from the enjoyment of it. And that's a great thing yeah, about, all. about these writers. It's like 
they, they know they've put so much time into fulfilling, like fully developing this world. Yeah, world building. And you don't get yeah. that very often. And we talk about no, this in our, our, our podcast about video games and how the world is kind of paper thin. It's only big enough for you to play in. You know, it's not big enough for you to expand in. And, and this is why this this show touches my heart so much is like your imagination runs wild, even though there are boundaries from what mm. they developed. But like anything is almost possible. And and as a kid, I mean, that is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And and so what I mean, like we had just talked about, she has already mastered basically not mastered, but she's already pretty professional at, you know, fire, water and uh, earth. earth and but earth. she hasn't learned air yet. And so what is supposed to happen is Tenzin, who is Aang's son and the, you know, the head airbender at this point. It's supposed to come and stay yeah. with the um where where are they right now? At, they're in South America or not oh, South America. They're in the, the South Pole, but I can't right. remember what is yeah. it. What's the city called? Uh it's just like a training facility okay. where, where the White Lotus go. Okay. So the it's White like, Lotus yeah. facility, then Ang or um not Ang, uh Tenzin's supposed to come and stay with them and train her in the process, but there's a lot going down in Republic City where he's one of the heads and the head council members, so He's like, I can only stay here for a night, but then we've got to go straight there. Like, it's just like a, a pit stop on the way there. And Amazing. so she's throwing a fit over it as she, because she's so hot headed and she wants to master all of this. And she's like, why can't you stay? Why can't you stay? And it's like, well, if you can't stay, can I just go with? And the city's in turmoil. So he's like, no, 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 like not right now. And she eventually, as kind of predictably at that point, sneaks aboard the ship and makes her own way there because she's going to make this happen regardless. But that's not before almost being stopped by Katara, who is just like, you know, kind of letting a, letting your a baby bird fly. It's like you just have to let it loose. And this was her, even though it was a rebellious thing in spirit, it's like this needs to happen to bring in the new generation of avatars. Well, I think she's oh, yeah, it's, it. it's like this is Aang, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this exactly. Is, this is exactly it's what like Aang would perfect do. Perfect in that way, right? Yeah. And it's like it brings. Well, I mean, if you watch, if you're a fan of the old old seasons, like it just, I don't know, full circle here. You know, absolutely, oh, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Hits the feels. Oh yeah, <laughs> super hard. Yeah, I was watching this with my girlfriend, and I I, I made sure this is before I knew the, uh, Legend of Korra was coming out, but we we spent like three months just hammering through the three seasons of the legend uh, or the last airbender and <laughs> when this came up and we saw guitar we're like oh my god <laughs> she's yeah. holding me i'm holding her it's, it's, yeah tears were shed tears yeah. everywhere <laughs> it's like seeing a lost family member so then they get to go to republic city and i love republic city it's so cool like so this world it's so interesting because whereas last um airbender was very much felt like kind of ancient Middle East, you know, that kind of feel. This, you know, it's been like, I don't know, 70 something years. And now it's almost like steampunkish in a way. Like there's industry, there's like companies and corporations, there's buildings. Cabbage there's, Corp. There's Cabbage <laughs> Corp. Yeah, my cabbages. Um, <laughs> there's like blimps and stuff like that. It's very there much, are cars, uh, electric cars, or it's the uh, yeah, it's like the coal age. Is that is that right? Coal? I have no idea, man. Maybe it, it the Iron me, Age in America. You know that the cabbage age. Like, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of like Final Fantasy games setting wise. Yeah, right. it does have that feel, and it's really like it's it's almost like a mix of what Airbender was, but you mix it with like the Roaring Twenties of the United States. Right. You know, there's like jazz music and there's cars and there's gangsters. And it's just, man, it's so cool. It was such a cool way to like add on to this this universe. But Korra comes in ready to not show up, but ready to defend, ready to be the hero of the city. And she sees these three um, uh, gangsters, I guess, a triple threat triad robbing this, essentially robbing this guy, like, you know, pay your dues to us. He doesn't have them, so they're going to put him in a hospital or something. And he, uh, so she comes to his rescue, which is a noble act, but she like breaks so much of the stores around the city and some of the streets in the process. So in doing so, she's almost caused more harm than they would have. And so yeah. 
it's it's her having to at this point at least having to learn to a a little bit of self-control and b the the city is not like the wild like it's not there is an amount of control that you have to have in order to basically stay out of prison or you know keep the peace that do that that just like mirror of like where she's coming from where she and where she is now it's it's i don't know the the way that they put that together like her awakening to that is just so priceless Mm -hmm. right yeah. And it happens a couple times we see yeah. something similar where, you know, especially earth uh, bending, like it's it's very destructive of the environment it's in a city. So oh, you yeah. have to be very careful. And metal build, <laughs> metal bending, it's the same thing. It's like, come on, you're just pulling like pillars and uh, scaffoldings from everywhere. Right. And I, it seems very dangerous to have in a city. Well, it was cool when that happened because then the police force show up and they're all metal benders and they're headed by Lin Beifong, who is the daughter of Toph from Last Airbender. So that's really awesome. And like the the way that this character was written, you're like, yeah, this is definitely Toph's kid because she's very sarcastic, very abrasive. It's just perfect, man. They did such a good job. I don't even remember who Toth is, but I believe it. She was the the blind, the young blind girl from Last Airbender that was always barefoot. Mm. Remember, like in that last Very episode we watched, and... she invented metal bending, and remember she was like ripping apart those the Fire Nation blimps with her bare hands. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that was Toph. So right, Lynn Beifong is her daughter. Yeah, I heard her. Yeah. I heard them talking about it, but I, I was like, oh, I can't remember who that character is. I'll, <laughs> yeah, someone will someone will remind me. And this is what happened. Yeah. So and uh, <laughs> so in in doing so, you know, she is captured by those police with their metal bending. Um, Cora is, and so she's taken to Lin Beifong or Chief Beifong. And so Tenzin has to come to her rescue and say, like, you know, I'll pay the fines, whatever, just drop the charges. But in doing so, Cora has to go back to the South Pole, or that's the idea at that point. And so she is basically getting ready to head out when. Tenzin's kids almost kind of remind him of how she's needed here and they allow her or he allows her to stay He's basically like, okay, you know, your training will pursue here because the city needs an avatar, especially, you know, now more than ever. Well, it's, it's interesting because he was, his whole thing was he thought that he was preserving his father's legacy by concentrating on Republic City because Aang really was the founder of Republic City. but the city had slowly morphed into something else. And then it was just in that moment that Tenzin kind of realized that by trying to preserve what the city is right now is not what his father would have intended. So his real way of preserving Aang's legacy is teaching Korra Mm -hmm. instead of preserving the city. And what isn't shown here is Tenzin's like past with his father and his like doubts of himself, which is explored in season three. Which really, like, once you watch that and you come back here, you you see a lot of Tizen himself, like, opens up to you in a whole new way. And it's just, it's yeah. so breathtaking. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, you you totally understand why he's, like, he seems really hard on Korra sometimes. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the, the idea of Republic City is to kind of have a, a peaceful union between the benders and the non-benders. And right. because there's there was a kind of a not a rivalry between them necessarily but they were worlds apart and so this is the idea is to bring them together and for everyone to live peacefully but that is starting to you know this is where we start this is where we see that beginning where it's starting to fall apart and led by this mysterious figure in a mask we see at the end of this episode uh Amon, who at this point we don't know who it is but he yeah. is his plan is accelerated because Avatar is here to stay. He is the head of an underground anti-bending group called the Equalists mm-hmm. who believe that, well, basically to to level the playing field, there should be no benders. So he believes in basically like purifying the human race by eliminating benders or more to that effect, more bending than actually eliminating the benders themselves. Yeah, so if, if you guys haven't, kind of got it already from what we've been talking you know Cora's such a hothead like she's yeah. ready to yeah, barrel through really any obstacle that comes in her path and ultimately this is her downfall but I think we all can relate to that aspect in yeah. Cora. it's like you know there's an obstacle we want to take it over uh, especially her being a girl which is a, you know 
complete opposite take of Aang. You know, mm-hmm. she is literally the opposite of Aang. She's a, she's not only a girl, but she's super hot headed, super strong, ready to barrel through. Why Aang, you know, kind of took his time, stood back, and like, yeah. mapped out his right his foe. It was interesting because Aang's like um, Aang's one of his biggest flaws was probably how naive he was, whereas Korra's biggest flaw is how hot headed she is. So yeah, it's definitely like kind of polar opposites because he was so peaceful. He didn't want to hurt anyone. Korra is like, if you get in my way, I'm going to hurt you a lot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. she approaches things more through intimidation than uh, I guess peaceful negotiation more often than not. That's all she knows, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think this is the aspect of not knowing how to bend air yet. Like, mm-hmm. right. Once she gets that, like everything changes. So let's go ahead and jump into the second episode we watched for today's show, which was When Extremes Meet, season one, episode eight, chosen by Austin, of course, where Korra faces off with Councilman Tarlock as equalist activity continues to rise in Republic City. Yes, that does happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I guess the big thing here that um, Joseph probably was confused about at first is there's a lot more characters um, when you get into this episode. It's because a lot of them are introduced in episode two, but we didn't watch that one. But Mako, Bolin, and Asami are now part of, like, basically they're Korra's entourage. Um, and yeah, team Mako Avatar. Being, yeah, Mako, yeah, they're a team Avatar. Mako being a firebender, his brother, Bolin, is an earthbender, and Asami is just a normal human. She's a non-bender. But her father it was like this huge, like Rockefeller type master industrialist and has all this tech and he developed the cars and the blimps and, and all of the technology that Republic City has. So she kind of came from a life of privilege, but she's still very grounded and very, um, she's a good person. And um, before this episode, they had found out that her father had been funding the Equalists so this this kind of battle had ensued and we're kind of seeing the aftermath of that now where they're kind of um he he's like on the run and Asami is now like homeless and got nowhere to go so they all move in with Tenzin's family and that's pretty much where this begins yeah i didn't know who any of those people were but uh i, I got explained to me kind of steadily throughout the episode um right. I, I did know, at least coming into it, that Asami and Mako had kind of a thing. And then uh, there was a little girl, one of... Um, Iki? Yeah. She, <laughs> she was totally like, just sells Korra out so <laughs> yeah, fast. So awesome. Did you know that Korra likes Mako? And then <laughs> the, the effect or the, uh, the cut that it went so to anime. with Korra, where, yeah, that's very anime, where it's just like fumes coming out of her head, just like lightning, lightning. all these different things happening around her. Around Korra, just because she's so like she embarrassed by growl. that. It is, yeah, it's just for, yeah. literally for an instant. But yeah. it just—I don't know. It's just that stamp of traditional anime that just touches home for me. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great thing about the combination between um, anime and cartoon culture. When people successfully do it, is they'll bring in some of the best parts of that. It happens in Voltron a lot too, where it'll do that weird cut yeah. where they get the big eyes and stuff, and like the thing above their head, and like sweat marks and. It's like those yeah. are, even though it's like over the top expressive, it's it's fun. And I always enjoyed that aspect of anime anyway. This was like a case where like American creators like succeeded in paying homage to Japanese anime. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so. Which doesn't happen often. No. Yeah. No. So this is, you know, when uh, those three come to stay and we see that the the police department are reporting to Tarlock, who is, I don't know a lot about him because this is my first time seeing him, but he's, sure. he's essentially supposed to be like some sort of control device or person in control who is regulating, supposedly regulating the equalist and keeping them at bay while everything else goes on normally with the government. Yeah, nobody knows that Tarlock is has anything to do with the Equalists. He's basically kind of a double agent in that way. I thought he was a mon the whole time. Like yeah. at this point, I did too, I'm like, for dude, a long he's time. so a mon. He's coming up for the Equalists. Like it's so, you know, cutthroat. Like if you don't see it, you're stupid type thing. And <laughs> and yeah, and then later, that's why I wasn't this shit. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you were really close in your guess. Yeah, that was my assumption. As it's too. revealed. Right. Um, but yeah, so Tarlock was a another councilman whose status was elevated. And um, 
Chief Beifong stepped down because in a fight against Amon, she had her bending taken away because Amon found a way to strip benders of their of their skills, basically. So Beifong, I mean, she still could have led, but she was she was powerless and she just felt unworthy from being taken down um, in that way. Like it was just the biggest blow to her ego. So she completely stepped down. So there's a new chief and the chief is in Tarlock's pocket. So basically the equalists basically have control of the city at this point. And so Mon's like kind of toting around like he's this, you know, divine being sent by the gods that he is the one deemed to take out all the benders in the world through his divine power. And I, I really right. like that because you see that a lot. And I think a lot of people, you know, not I mean, you kind of look at Hitler as that. You know, mm. He has that kind of speech to him and people now they try to pick up on stuff like that as well. But I thought that was a very critical dynamic that he needed to be he's evil villain right he's got the big following because there are a lot of people who even if they don't agree with the things he does they agree with the you know what his idea of equality is so he's got a huge following behind him and that makes him even more dangerous is people following his ideals right and what's really interesting is how he goes about his plan because well it's interesting too because he is a bender himself but I mean, if you well, think we don't about know it, that he at the time, everyone though. else, right? We don't know spoiled. that. Well, he's spoiled. He wear, well, no, <laughs> spoiler, he, wear, spoiler, he wears. No, we don't know it. He wears the robes of the Water Tribe, <laughs> so you know he belongs to the Water Tribe. Well, I didn't. I didn't uh, know until wait, the third Tarlock? episode. Tarlock. Wait, we, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. So I thought we were talking Tarlock. about Mon. I thought you were talking about him. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, Tarlock. Oh, we know Tarlock is a Waterbender. Yeah, you guys are the spoilers. Cut that out. So, what's really interesting is that Tarlock is a bender himself, but he's still helping the equalist movement because if everyone else is stripped from their bending except him that makes him the most powerful you know person out there but what he does instead of like straight up just supporting the equalists instead what he does is he manipulates both sides by fanning the flames where he has non-benders rounded up and arrested and jailed for no real good reason but it's because he knows that it's going to start a civil war so mm-hmm. that's what he does is he he goes against the people that he's actually supporting just because he knows that it will ignite that spark and, and turn it into a fire. Also stating that, uh, or really putting a law forth that the other council members, aside from Tenzin, are all for, which is to make it illegal to join the Equalist, which sounds good in theory, but also putting a curfew on the non-airbenders. Right. I mean, he's really yeah. spreading fear amongst not only the people, but the council members. And- right. And segregating. I mean, exactly. yeah. I mean, this is literally how tyranny and oppression start by fear. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, for, like, this episode really brings in a lot of like heavy subjects that you don't see in a lot of te- like kid shows, mm-hmm. and they do it so well. And I mean, I'm not, I want to say obvious. It's not obvious, but it's it's a very real way that I wouldn't think someone would do it. Yeah, that it, way. it's a good parallel to real life. And if you think right. about, I mean, going back to even nine eleven, where it's like. This wasn't all Muslims who did this, but there was segregation across the board because of yeah, the, because the of, few. Right. Yeah, exactly. What's really interesting here is so Team Avatar had has been fighting the Equalists. There's a couple of really good scenes of some battles between them and Equalists, and that was like just some beautiful animation and like fight scenes animated there. But um towards the end of this episode, we see them basically well basically Korra fighting against the police force and Tarlock, mm-hmm. which gets basically everybody arrested um, except for Korra. He arrests her friends, you know, to anger her even more. And, and Korra is trying to protect, like she comes into this, you know, uh, or the police are trying to, you know, corral these people saying that, you know, since you're out past curfew, you're going to be, you know, arrested. And they're like, well, we're just normal people. And we want our, electricity turned back on because they turned it off for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. And Cora's s- like, hey, you know, turn this back on. I'm the Avatar. I'm here to help these people. And that's right. That's what she really wants to do. But obviously things turn sour and yeah. she stands up to Tarlock by pulling up two giant boulders ready to throw it at him when he has a whole police force behind her. And this, behind is, him. And this is a moment we get to see her learning that sometimes she needs to control her anger. Right. I mean, we and really like to see to. how weak she really is. Yeah. She has... Yeah. She, even though she's the avatar, she might as well just be a normal bender because right for all her physical strength with her bending abilities, like she mentally, she's not ready. Right. 
And uh, we see at the end of this episode where she and Tarlock face off in his office. And that is a very cool fight. Yeah, and that's where you find out that Tarlock isn't just a waterbender. He is a bloodbender. You know what? Before Very we even, illegal. Before we even saw that part, when they got thrown out onto the into the courthouse and there was no water around and she exclaimed that, I was like, oh man, she... He's going to use, I didn't know about blood binning at the time. I was like, he's going to use the water inside you or something because, right. because you <laughs> so said you it. already do. Yeah, because you said it <laughs> like that, you know, something's about to happen. And then she starts like getting, you know, he is, he's controlling the blood inside of her, the water and right. the blood inside of her. So Which he's just, crazy. It, it controls their body and basically just like cripples them in, in such a way as it would. Well, but suppose, supposedly from what she's seeing, like this is only supposed to happen on a full moon. Right. Well, yeah. Can, can we set back real fast back to the fight? So she actually sure. comes to Tarlock and is like, hey, you need to release my friends because now it's just him and her on like level ground. You know, mm-hmm. she can fire bend, she can earth bend, even though he has water in his chamber. You know, that's all he can do. So she plans to literally hammer it out with him. And he calls her out and is like, hey, like, I like you because of how hot headed you are, how determined you are to just go forward and barrel through anything right, and taking what you want and he wants to work with her but he's he's using her friends as i guess kind of bait in a way to get yeah. her to follow him obviously the battle ensues and she has the upper hand because she she can control three elements i mean he only gets one yeah and that's when right. he has been hiding this his this, ace in the hole yeah, yeah that he is a bloodbender and for anyone who watched the other ones when when you see this episode, if you saw it, it was just like, oh my god, yeah, like it Blood is literally is scary. It's like, mind blowing. It looks, it's like excruciating too. Like it just looks like that he could shatter her body anytime he wanted. It's really, really unnerving to watch. Like the way he makes her contort and stuff. It's just. It almost kind of makes you sick to your stomach a little bit. You're just like, oh, oh yeah. god, yeah. You can see why yeah. it's very illegal. I mean, imagine yeah. just not being able to control your body. Yeah, like, right. Like he he throws her across the chamber room where the council members meet, mm-hmm. and like with ease. And she is the avatar. I mean, again, yeah. she's shown how weak she really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was not prepared for that. I mean, none of us were. I wasn't. I was surprised. Ugh. There's two things, um, two moments from this episode that I thought are hilarious, and I just absolutely love, and I have to mention them. Which is, there's one part back on the island where Tenzin lives, where Korra's upset. And she kind of goes off into the distance and the rest of team avatar joins her and they're kind of giving her a pep talk and they all like put their hands in. They're like, come on, we can do this. We'll stop the equalists. And then Milo drops out of nowhere and just farts super loud. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, <laughs> that is so funny. And the, I think, the other part that absolutely, what's that? I was going to say, I think moments like that are what keep, kids into it in those moments where it can get really really intense and serious that kept me into it (laughs) (laughs) i also really like it whenever like every once in a while tenzin gets his moment where it's kind of funny and it happened in here too where the rest of the team avatar is arrested and cora and tenzin go to the police and they're basically demanding them be let loose and the guy's basically like no you'll have to talk to Tarlock and Cora's like you're the worst chief of police ever and then they start walking away and like Tenzin's like calm down Cora but then turns back and he goes but you really are the worst ever <laughs> like really <laughs> yeah, loud yeah. but you really are the worst police chief ever yeah <laughs> that was so good yeah that was funny ah, good stuff and this kind of what's great about this is it kind of leads for me anyway directly into the next episode even though it's four episodes later it it lines up perfectly with it and the third episode we watched for today's show is Endgame, season one, episode 12. It's actually the last episode of the first season. And this is where the duel between Amon and Korra takes place. Will Korra be powerful enough to beat Amon? Who knows? Barely. It, it sounds like uh, that's like the narrator. <laughs> Will Korra ever be able right. to beat Amon? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I, I didn't think she was going to, honestly. Not as it, the way it, it was It was going. looking pretty grim for a while. Yeah. One thing that I liked about this episode was we get to see General Iroh. Which is the grandson of Zuko, named for the General Iroh from Last Airbender. Um, So he's Iroh. He becomes a general of like the Fire Nation fleet. And he is actually voiced by the same voice actor that voiced Zuko from Last Airbender. Nice. Which is awesome. And he looks like Zuko. Yeah, it's a super, lot. super touching. Which, which one was he? He was the the guy that was um he ended he up getting captured with, with uh, Bolin and Asami. They got right. captured together. 
Oh, okay, okay. And then, yeah, he, oh God, he has some awesome freaking fighting moves in this. Like he, um, they get loose, they get in like, he gets in like an airplane and he's trying to take these other planes out and his gets shot down. So he jumps out and uses his firebending to basically rocket himself through the sky. And he like takes another plane down with his bare hands and his firebending <laughs> And then so hops awesome. in another one and oh my god it was so cool like yeah, so, that dude is ba yeah <laughs> like he learned how to fly with just his hands on fire it was like yeah i don't, I don't understand so but. cool the <laughs> action in this series just in general is amazing the fight scenes are great yeah, yeah. they come a long way from avatar the last airbender and even that right. was amazing too yeah 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 oh man the last four episodes of um airbender are amazing like the best fight scenes like ever and actually uh, people from uh you know japan and china are like impressed with with these uh these this cartoon series with the last airbender and cord because of the way they portray anime for america yeah like, yeah it, it's yeah. it's good uh western anime basically exactly yeah even though they yeah. send it overseas to actually get all the animation done but yeah. <laughs> we directed it right that's yeah yeah Semantics. yeah we were the crew yeah it was <laughs> created <laughs> in america produced what, in other places what does apple say designed in california made in china <laughs> <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh, so what we get to see is in the we, we get to see the the equal is having a uh i guess a rally it's a rally yeah where Amon is talking about the reasons, basically giving the reasons why he is against the uh, just bending in general, where a firebender supposedly killed his family and left him scarred. And at that point, Cora comes out and she's trying to, uh, I guess, along the way somewhere, they've learned that he is, or they assume, I guess, that he is uh, Noatok, who is the brother of uh, Tarlock. And that he is also, you know, a waterbender slash bloodbender. And then uh, Amon takes his mask off and we do see this scar, which settles the people down in in the rally because they're like, um, they're more inclined to believe Amon than they are at this point, Korra, because no one trusts. Right. The, the trust for the Avatar, just benders in general, has is at an all-time low. Yeah, nobody really trusts her and everybody, they... It, like sometimes I feel like it's not that they trust Amon, but that they want to trust Amon. Yeah, because he speaks of of them being on um, equal playing fields and stuff like that, and the non-benders feel oppressed by benders. Um, that might not necessarily be the case, but they've created. Well, basically, Tarlac kind of created this um, with his power and stuff like that. Created this system where it made them feel oppressed and it made them flock to Amon. So. It was just both sides of that coin working together just created the perfect storm for Amon to get that much support. Mm. Um, and he also captured Tenzin and his children because those four are the only airbenders in existence. So if he removes their bending, there is no airbenders at yeah. all. And that is his, um, that's, and his, that's plan. his plan. And something that we learned that he's able to do, which by from what it looks like just putting his finger onto their head and it's kind of severs their connection to the, the any of the elements. So, but like Korra and Mako step in and they start fighting Amon and they're able to free Tenzin and his family, which I love where Milo just raises his hands in there. He's like, prison break! Yeah, prison break! <laughs> <laughs> that kid is so funny. He's hilarious. Um, so like they're, fleeing to safety while like Korra and Mako were basically taking on a mine kind of like behind the scenes and stuff like that. And one thing that's very interesting here is um, Korra kind of starts getting the upper hand until Amon begins to blood bend and, and freezes her and Mako and they can't move. But what's interesting, and this is kind of what helped Korra in the long run here is that one of Amon's lieutenants sees him bloodbending and realizes everything the Avatar said was true. And so he turns on Amon and he goes to attack him. He and Amon's to attack him. Yeah. A bloodbender. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, yeah. He's crazy. Yeah. Amon kind of like, so he loses his focus against like Mako and Korra and takes out his lieutenant, which gives them, well, I think it was Mako, gives him the opportunity to basically like kind of electrocute him, like doesn't kill him, but. Right. Definitely like 
throws them for a loop. Yeah, and, that, that's um, seeing a side escape. of a fire bending that I had not seen at this point, which was right. a lightning bending, I guess. So in the last oh, Airbender, yeah, yeah. like you had to like charge up for it. Mm, but now, yeah. like what you see early on in, in the episode is that Mako was working at a power plant, and all it is is firebenders shooting electricity into like something that you know takes electricity and turns it into energy, just like uh, you know power turbines or something. At yeah, yeah, they're plant. basically generators. Yeah, yeah, so like now it's just easy. They're just like you know just oh, constantly okay. doing it all day. Yeah, nice. Um, and so him yeah, for him, like it's all he needed was that you know just to sh- enough energy to shoot that. Yeah, enough at. control back from uh, Amon at the well, a Noah talk. Yeah, at who yeah, Noah at talk, this point basically. we know who it is. Um, right. Even though like he still has the mask on right now, but the, a big moment here is where Korra gets her power stripped by Amon. Oh, and, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's the probably the biggest moment because I mean for me especially who's not seen it, I'm like no Korra because. It, she she loses her connection to the three that she has basically mastered, which are the water, fire, earth, and it's it's a desperate now situation. Things seem yeah. hopeless, and right. I'm you know I'm on the edge of my seat. And then she it, it, to save Mako, she kind of pulls out and finally like just kind of reaching out, just throws uh, some air bending out. Finally, and this is she's up yeah. to this point, she's not been able to do it. Period, and that's something right. that. They mentioned in the last episode, which is why I say that it led to this one very well, because I think it was Tarlock who reminded her that she is she has not been able to do airbending as of yet. Right. And so we see right. her even crying over it because she doesn't understand why she can't. And so this was a huge moment, not only in that she got her the rest of her power strip, but also that she finally was able to use airbending. Yeah, because Amon like, took her from that. For some reason, that like flipped the switch the opposite way. Right. And so right, exactly. in, in a moment of desperation to save the person that she loved, she was able to unlock that, which I think there's a lot of like deeper meaning there with like love and how that can really help a person out in different ways. It, yeah, it, it's hugely powerful because it's like, what is she going to do to save the guy she loves the most yeah. from losing his even versus the bloodbending, which to for us at this time seems basically unbeatable. She's able to right. muster up enough of this power to push Amon out of one of the windows and knock him into the you know the the lake there which is where the reveal happens to everyone else that you know Amon There's a huge crowd outside yeah, all yeah, yeah everything that's happening right his followers are there everyone they see you know the mask comes off and the the scars that we see previously was just painted on and that washes off and then right. we see him rise up from the water since he is a a waterbender and that's this when, whirlpool underneath him. Exactly. And that's yeah. when everybody like loses their faith in him. And understandably so, because he's been lying to them this whole time. Right. Yeah. And he looks kind of like Tarlock. So it's very obvious right there. Yes, he is Tarlock's brother. Right. And, and then his next move is to like, he's lost all of his power because his followers have turned on him. So he flees to where he actually had captured his brother at some point and it was keeping him prisoner because I think his brother was, I mean, those two were kind of turning on each other. So he's right. got Tarla. They, they um, two different ideas. Up. What we don't see is yeah. in, a, in another episode, like yeah. Tarlock, this tells Cora what his past life was with his dad, who his dad was, which you see in flashbacks from Aang, who he was dealing with as, you know, the ultimate bloodbender. And, yes. and, and you find out that his dad wanted revenge on Avatar and Republic City. And so Tarlock and Noah talk kind of were going about it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And right. so Amon's like, well, you know what? This is all over. You know, me and you, brother, we can finally be together right. after but all these years. Even at that point, you could see, and I could tell that Tarlock had possibly had a change of heart from what was previously happening because he seemed very unsure about going with Noah talk at all. Right. And but we see did. that really come to uh, a, a point, oh, I man. guess. And this is one of those yeah. things where I'm like, oh my, like, I'm surprised they showed this, A, but I see how they kind of pulled away from it to make it seem like everything might be okay, but we right. know it's not okay. Um, yeah, he, definitely not. Um, Tarlock gets one of those those um, equalist gloves, which shoots electricity, basically. It's it's right. a human, yeah. a non-bender's way to have some sort of power. And they're on a boat getting away. Uh, Noah talk has his back turned to him. He's just right. exclaiming he, about like how things are going to be fine. Right. I think we're going to start new, new lives, a new and, beginning, just like old times. Right. And then uh, 
uh, you see, uh, you see Charlock look at this glove and I'm like, oh man, no way. Like, at first I thought like he's just going to like shoot him in the back or something, right, but then right. he pulls open the gas tank and I'm like, oh, no way. And he shoots it he's right in there. He's telling his brother, yes, yeah. everything's going to be yeah, cool. Yeah, as he's telling his brother that everything's going to be just like old times or just be fine. And then both of them, in the distance, shot. from the distance, yeah. wide shot, you see just a boom. the explosion of that it's boat. Crazy. It's crazy. Like, so he sacrificed himself in order to stop. I, I think it's in a way feeling regret about some of the things he had done previously. Right. And yeah, it was like it was redemption. Right, exactly. That was his redeeming moment because he also saved the world from any future potential tyranny by his brother. So I thought that was a beautiful moment, actually, and very surprising. I didn't see it coming. It's a dark and very mature moment, especially for a kid's show. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Kills himself and his brother for the greater good. It's insane. That was... man. That was a very cool moment. And I just, I had to, I mean, spoilers, because if you listen yeah. to this show, you know there's going to be spoilers. Yeah. But we, I had we to bring spoil it up, all the time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then we retreated to another like super awesome defining moment for Korra and that she's lamenting kind of off by herself on this cliff because she now has airbending, but she lost the rest of her powers. So she's right. like, I can't be the avatar. Like, I'm not the avatar anymore. Yeah, she goes back to Katara. Katara is trying to heal her, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't working. work. It's mm. she's so, like this forever. Right, all hope seems yeah. lost at this point. And right. you know, I assume at this point that she's going to get it back, but I don't know. So I'm just like, well, I wonder, like, what's she going to do? Like, how is this season going to end? And uh, so we see her go off. Mako comes up to her, and he's just like, you know, none of this matters to me. Like, I. I want to stay with you because she's trying to basically tell him like, go like I'm not, I have nothing to offer anymore. Go. And so he confesses his love to her and she just, she can't even accept that. She does not feel deserving of that or anything right now. She's at her lowest point and goes off to be by herself. And that's when we see a figure dressed like uh, Tenzin Tenzin walk up. We think it's him and Mm -hmm. so does she. And then we see who it's actually Aang. Or yeah, a vision which of. was so cool. That was such yeah. a great moment. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's basically like, it's kind of like everything hits like that that point where she she was broken to her lowest. And then, you know, like we said, with, when her other powers were taken away, it unlocked airbending. But apparently it also unlocked that spiritual part that she was missing. Right. And for the first time, she was able to speak with the shade of Aang just like Aang was always speaking to like Roku and and some of the other former avatars. And he basically was just kind of like, you know, you are the avatar. You can do this kind of thing. And unlocking that spiritual side, she goes into the avatar state, which she had never done before. And all of a sudden she has everything. She's got the spiritual, she's got fire, earth, water, air all together. So it was a huge moment. I mean, the biggest moment she could have right yeah. there. I mean, like I thought it was going to end. We're like, oh, it's like, oh, she's, she's the whole the whole t- season. I'm waiting for her to become Avatar. There's plenty of times she could have became Avatar, but it never happened. Mm-hmm. And at, at this point in time, I love this season now. But prior, I was like, man, this, this is nothing like the last Airbender, where Aang would, you know, uh, Deus Ex Machina it completely yeah. and become the Avatar and like win out over everything else. That's what I thought it was going to end on a sad note, too, with her just like, you've got air now, but here's a cliffhanger is you have nothing else. And I right. thought that was how I was going to end it. Me too. Because they really yeah. pull it out from uh, under the, or they pull the rug out from under you there because you don't know exactly what's about to happen. Right. Until yeah, you, you don't see, expect it. Right. You don't expect it at all. You see Aang come in and like Chris was explaining, this is her turning point And this is what basically unlocks everything. And so it it yeah. makes uh, what what Amon did at the time just cancels that out. She's got everything back, and it ends on a very happy note. And also with her confessing her love back to Mako. So interesting fan theory I read after this because I because he when Aang said that I was like you know yeah she reached her lowest point but did she really? And I was reading this fan theory was they said when she looked over the cliff. And that teardrop, it was her wanting to commit suicide, but Mm. she couldn't do it. And that was her defining moment was she was ready to die and be done with being everything, being alive, being the I can kind of see that. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what it seemed like because 
Because can you imagine like being even being born with all that power and then having it stripped away from you from what you know uh, forever? Right. Yeah. And now you think about it, like yeah, she's sitting on the edge of a cliff, like her legs dangling like over the edge, and she doesn't have water bending or anything like that anymore. Like yeah, she could easily die. So yeah, Yeah. that makes that's a a sad fan theory, but I mean it is. It makes sense. I think it. I think it brings a lot to her character, like the what she was willing to do for what for the situation she was in. She was super strong, powerful. Right. It's a a sign of strength that she was able to stop herself at the last minute. So right. And also, like, unlocking that spiritual side now that she was able to tap into the Avatar state helps her be able to return bending back to those that were had it taken away by Amon. Oh, yeah. So, like, so like we see Lin Beifong and Korra, you know, basically touches her forehead and does the reverse of Amon and gives her bending back. What's kind of funny is because, like, then she, like, stands up and, like, raises these giant pillars of, like, earth out of the ground and if you watch like um, Bolin's face, his mouth is like wide open. His eyes are huge. Like, whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so good. He, even uh, even Naga's tail was wagging at that time, too. What's the name of Bolin's ferret? I don't remember. It's a fire ferret. Yeah. I don't, know that much. I don't remember its name. I just remember calling it a oh. fire ferret. <laughs> but so, Joseph, you probably didn't see this, but they do like a um, Mako and Bolin were part of like a I don't remember what the sport is called, but they were on a sports team ah. that Cora joined them for a while, and their team name was the Fire Ferrets. Right, it's a huge part the of the season. But oh, okay. I don't think it was yeah, big yeah. enough for these. I think they mentioned it once, but I had no, I didn't have the context. Yeah, we didn't it's see it in awesome. the episodes we watched, <laughs> but there's a couple episodes like devoted right. to like that sport, or not devoted to it, but it's a huge part of some of the episodes. And it's actually pretty entertaining too. So, nice, yeah, the Fire Ferrets. Well. Chris and Austin, it looks like it's about time we bring out our inner kids by getting in touch with the spiritual side of bending and see what they thought of The Legend of Korra. Oh man, this cartoon was awesome. I love Airbender and this one's just as good. I mean, you got the Avatar and now she's this hot chick that can beat everybody up. Thank you, cartoon gods, for bestowing this blessing upon us. I rated this show five bowls of Fire Ferret cereal out of five. And now I'm going to go airbend by farts. (laughs) Even only having had a small taste of what The Legend of Korra had to offer, I wouldn't have thought that I would get as attached to the characters that I ended up being. They're all very well developed, each with their own unique personality, and the villains are presented as an interesting shade of gray. And to accompany the spectacular character development, there are amazing action scenes tied to the intriguing Avatar lore. All in all, I would give The Legend of Korra five big bowls of big polar bear dog cereal out of five, and I highly recommend you check it out, especially after watching The Last Airbender. But I think I'm going to see if I can do a little milk bending and pour myself another bowl. Bye! Legend of Korra is the best. Lots of action with fire and water. I wish I could live in Avatar world. Korra is a strong person and Amon is the worst villain in cartoons. He cheats with his dang bloodbending. This is one of the best shows ever. It's no Avatar without Aang, but it's still really, really, really good. I give it five fire punches, an air kick, a water slice, and an earth bending high five out of five. Good job, kids. Sadly, <laughs> my link to the milk element was severed by Amon, and I've had to do it by hand ever since. Such a hassle. So, do you guys have any final thoughts about The Legend of Korra? Uh, everybody should watch it. <laughs> yeah, basically, final thoughts. Uh, I need to watch The Last Airbender before I watch this to understand more of what's going on within the the families themselves. But I think even as a standalone, you could check it out and I don't think you'd be disappointed. So it's a great accompaniment to the first one, but not completely necessary to have watched it. So all in all, great show. Yeah, I agree. This is such a... And I mean, if you are a fan of Last Airbender, this is a such a great place to pick up this universe and get back into it. It still has that same like magical feeling with the same kind of comedy and drama, but with new characters and a new story. And just like the last airbender, there's just so much depth and like history to this world. It just feels so vast and so big, bigger than like the world feels bigger than the shows that, that it's a part of. And I just absolutely love that. So it's definitely a must watch. So I, I don't want to leave anyone on a bad note, but note that I think this season out of The Legend of Korra was the best because it actually had Brian and Michael directing and writing it. While the other ones, they kind of falter uh, a little bit throughout mm. you know each season, but Brian and 
uh, Michael do come back and write and direct a few of the shows. And when you watch those episodes, like, you know, it's them, you can feel they're it. They're noticeably different. Right. Yeah, like, okay. They have this palpable, you, you know, you like, yeah. you just know that okay. has that same feeling of Avatar. There's a character that they introduced, I think in season two that I absolutely love. He's a, like, I don't remember his name, but he's a very like Howard Hughes sort of character and he's oh, yeah, freaking yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And like, it's like, you have to watch it because that character is amazing. So yeah, please watch. Please, please. please. Well, Austin, thanks for bringing this to us. This was awesome for me to watch for the first time. And I'm definitely going to try to watch the whole show now. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. It's it's one of the greatest American cartoon series ever. Is that too bold? Agreed. I, I, I think I could <laughs> no, agree to that. I'm going to put also, it right I up agree. there for me 100%. with the Voltron, which I, the new Voltron, which I thought was amazing. So Which is made by the same guys. Apparently. Made by the same guys, yeah. I so just these, found that yep. out. These guys are guys. killing it. Killing yes. it. Yep. Killing it. So where can people find you, Austin, or find The Inner Gamer? Uh, so if you go to our website that we just launched, uh, www.theinnergamer.net, we're also going to be launching our uh, our blog on the 2nd of January. So go check that out. We're also on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search for The Inner Gamer and follow us on our social media. Sweet. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, we got it. Definitely check them out. Uh, David and I from NerdSloth were actually on one of your episodes. Yeah. I don't uh, remember the number, but I feel like I it was a long time it ago. Either. Yeah. It, it's been a little bit, but you know, just go back as a reason Yay. to go. Check out. You're going to hear... Joseph and all his yeah, greatness. As if you're not tired of hearing me <laughs> enough yeah, on if this If you're not tired show. of Joseph's voice already, yeah. you will be. That's a beautiful voice, guys. Come on. <laughs> it is. Come on. Right. Well, I'll take that. <laughs> anyway. Silky smooth. <laughs> well, listeners, it looks like our milk supply has now run dry, so it's time for us to say goodbye. Next week, we'll be watching Pokemon Indigo League, submitted via email by Thomas. I never know what's coming up, so that's a surprise to me. Again, thank you, Austin, for being here. And once again, I am Joseph. I'm Chris. And I'm Austin. And we'll see you next Saturday. Presented by NerdSloth. A place for lazy nerds. If you like what you heard, consider donating at patreon.com slash nerdsloth so we can continue bringing you quality shows. Be sure to also leave us a review and share your favorite episodes and clips on social media. If you're looking for more content, visit us at nerdsloth.com. 